You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yo, yo, what is up? What is up? You are listening to Locked On NBA Draft, and this is your host, Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and the new director of scouting from NBA Big Board. And in this episode, I want to talk to you about, of course, I'm going to talk about the Final Four, but I want to talk to you about some of the prospects, the NBA Draft prospects in this Final Four I want to talk about whether or not a great Final Four performance can boost or hurt their draft stock. And then I just kind of talk about how I feel about the prospects and even give you my opinion on what teams would be a good fit. But before I get started, I wanted to thank each and every person that has made Locked On NBA Draft your first listen of the day. I really appreciate it. And now we are at the point where people are going to start really paying attention to the draft. I feel like at, at earlier in the season or earlier in the year, you know, it's like the real diehards that are looking to listen to the NBA draft. I mean, who's thinking about the NBA draft back in January unless you're a diehard? And I feel like as we get closer to... The draft and with the conclusion of college basketball season, more and more listeners are going to start kind of checking out NBA draft because it's peak season. But I just wanted to thank each and every person that has been listening during like the off season. So shout out to all the NBA draft junkies, no pun intended, that have made this possible with Locked On NBA Draft. All right, let's get into this episode. So I wanted to talk about this final four weekend, which I mean, I kind of feel bad for Kansas and Villanova. I mean, nobody is talking about them. Maybe it's because I'm currently in Athens, Greece, and ESPN, I have to access it from YouTube, and I am kind of feel like I'm out the loop a little bit. But everything I've seen is about North Carolina and Duke, or Duke and North Carolina, you know, Somebody may think I'm being a little biased by mentioning one team ahead of the other. And rightfully so. I mean, this is, at least in my opinion, I'd say the biggest rivalry in college basketball. And out of all the gazillion times that they've played, we've never seen them meet in the Final Four. Then you have the storylines of, you know, it's Coach K's last tournament. Then you have... You know, Duke's roster, which is more talented as far as NBA talent or NBA prospects to North Carolina. Duke is in position, best case scenario, to have six guys. I think maybe five. Of course, you know, it can change depending on who stays in and who declares. But I think there's a a realistic shot that Duke could have up to six players drafted in June. While with North Carolina, I just... I mean, I think they're lucky if they get two. And it could even be a situation where they would get, where they may not even have anybody drafted. So you compare, like, this Duke team that has a storyline with Coach K to having, you know, a ridiculous amount of NBA prospects on one roster 
to this North Carolina team that has overachieved. I mean, they had to upset the number one seeded Baylor in, in like one of the most dramatic games I've seen in a while. They play UCLA, they're eighth seed. They have a rookie coach who is an alum of North Carolina in Hubert Davis, who I imagine would love nothing more than sending Coach K home, packing and into retirement with a L in the Final Four. Then the two teams split their regular season matchup. I mean, so this is, I mean, there's so much drama in this, and I don't care what time it is in Europe. I'm going to find out a way to make sure that I'm wide awake to watch that game. So, all right, let's talk about the prospects, the NBA prospects in the Final Four, and who has the most to gain. And I'll start with Paolo Bencaro. I don't think that he has a whole lot to gain. I think at the very, very minimum, he's a top four pick, which, I mean, I, I can't say it's impossible for him to fall down to four because it may be a team that likes Chet Holmgren or Jabari Smith or Jaden Ivey Moore. I personally think he's the number one prospect in this class, but he does have a range of maybe one through four. I'd say more realistic one to three. I take him at number one, but I feel like he has a really good opportunity to separate himself and create a further gap, at least in my opinion, but create a, a, a bigger gap between his, his, his peers and I think he can put himself in, or at least make a stronger case to be the number one pick with a big performance in the Final Four. I think that if he can continue to knock down threes, which he's like 8 of 14 or 8 of 15 from three in the tournament, and if he can continue to show off his passing and his playmaking skills, and I'd say more importantly, like make quick decisions, because he does have a tendency to pass up open catch-and-shoot jumpers and he'll like jab step or he'll take a side dribble and, and hesitate, and then shoot a contested jumper. But I think if he can showcase quick decision-making, his passing, and continue being hot from three, I think there's a chance that he can just, I mean, put the nail in the coffin and, and just lock down the number one pick. But that is my opinion. Of course, there's some people that think that Jabari Smith is, is the superior prospect because he's younger and he has an elite skill set, which is a shooting and then, of course, there's some that like Chet because he's a unicorn. But, again, I think Bancaro can make a, a, a good lasting impression because he's the last one left. And I think lasting impressions, you know, they do have an impact. Not saying it's the whole thing because, I mean, we've seen guys, I think Jabari Parker, for example, had like an awful tournament and he still went number two. Now, the worst case scenario for Bancaro is he has a bad game where – all the concerns that teams or scouts may have are intensified. So let's say it's a game where he's settling for too many contested jumpers off the dribble. He's indecisive with his decision-making and the ball is sticking to his hands. That could possibly, that, that lasting impression could drop him to two, three, or four. But either way, no matter what, I don't think he should fall out of the top four even with a bad performance. Now, my best fit for Ben Carroll, and I'm going to be selfish here, selfishly, the best fit would be the Portland Trailblazers because I think that he is NBA ready right now. He'd give the Blazers a inside presence, another playmaker. I mean, I would absolutely love that fit. But at the best case, I mean, it can, it can happen. We've seen stranger things in the lottery. 
But right now, based off the record, I think the Blazers would be have they'd have like the sixth most odds to win the lottery. So that's you know not the most realistic chance. But outside of Portland, I would say the best fit I would like to see would be Detroit. I'd love to see a Kate Cunningham, Paolo Bancaro lineup. I mean, I think it would be. I mean, you, so much creativity. I mean, you can go one four pick and rolls. You can go four one pick and rolls. I mean, you, you get two playmakers that can post up. And I've mentioned this before that the person that probably would not like to see this would be Marvin Bagley. I think this would, you know, it would be kind of tough for a fellow Duke alum to replace you. And Bagley has started to like catch his stride. But I think also if you had Bancaro and Cade on the same team, there would be some concerns about how athletic Detroit is. Even though I don't think Bank Carroll's a bad athlete. I mean, I'm starting to see a lot of people question his athleticism. I'm like, I don't get it. Like, I think he's a good athlete. I mean, would you consider Jokic an athlete? <laughs> no. So, I mean, you know, I mean, and I guess even comparing him to Bagley, Bagley went number two because he was a freakish vertical athlete, but he was not as skilled as Ben Carroll. So, I mean, that's a whole different subject that I may do a podcast on. Athleticism or skills, which would you take? All right. When we return, I'll talk about some of the other prospects I didn't expect for that to take up the entire first segment. But now I want to talk to you about NBA Top Shot. Now, NBA Top Shot is the officially licensed NFT of the NBA. It allows you to connect with a passionate community of NBA fans across the world and also allows you to build your collection with your favorite moments from NBA history. And it is because NBA Top Shot is the future of what being an NBA fan looks like. It's like a combination of trading cards, stock market, and fantasy sports. And it also has like a built-in loyalty program. And NBA Top Shot has evolved trading cards, and it's made it easier to buy, sell, and trade by removing the hassle of card grading, shoe boxes, and binders. Man, I remember when I used to collect cards. I had, I mean, I had so many binders, and it was, but it was fun. I love the fact that you open a pack of cards and you're hoping and praying to get this particular card. For the people that are in their late 30s or probably 40s or 50s, I know y'all remember Beckett and going to the Beckett magazine, going and checking out the value of your card. And if you had a card that was worth a dollar seventy-five, at least to me, that card had some value. But those days are over because now with NBA Top Shot, I mean, you can, I mean, you get access to these unbuyable once-in-a-lifetime experiences, and I mean, it's almost like think about it. Back in the day, people thought you were crazy if you thought a Babe Ruth card on a piece of card, but cardboard would be worth something. Now, but again, like I said, it's, it gives you access to these unbuyable once-in-a-lifetime experiences. For example, last year, Top Shot flew out a group of fans to Phoenix for Game 5 of the NBA Finals, and they have those Phoenix Suns moments in their collection. The following week, Top Shot flew out some fans to New York to the NBA Draft. They played basketball with Obi Toppin. And if you sign up for Top Shot today, I'd say the best way to get started is getting a starter pack, and you can pull a moment of a superstar like LeBron or KD, or you can choose someone like Kay Cunningham or Evan Mobley or Jalen Green. For only nine 
bucks. So head over to lockedon.nbatopshot.com to start building your collection today. All right, once again, this is Rafael with NBA Draft Junkies and the new director of scouting for NBA Big Board. Thank you for making Locked On NBA Draft your first listen. Now, I would suggest you check out Locked On Now. And the Locked On Now podcast is nightly recaps of every NBA game with analysis from our local experts. And it is free and it is available wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also check it out on YouTube. All right, now let's talk about A.J. Griffin. A.J. Griffin is someone that I think he can go anywhere from 5 to 10 in this draft. And he's kind of a wild card in a sense because he could even fall significantly lower depending on his medical records. I had someone ask me what are the issues with his, his medicals, and he's had some lower leg injuries. I think he's missed, or he missed like, a good chunk or not the majority of his senior season in high school had some injuries prior to that and then coming into the season he got injured early in Dukes I mean it wasn't even like their non-conference schedule he was injured early when he arrived on campus or when they started practicing so there are some concerns but for whatever reason and I, I don't even know why but for whatever reason I do not think a great performance or an awful performance will impact his draft stock at all. I think it is all going to depend on his medicals. Now, if he has like a game like he had against Arkansas where he had 18 points and he shot seven of nine from the floor, then I think his stock could possibly, I don't know, move up a little bit, but I think it kind of remains the same. Now, for me personally, what I would like to see out of him that could help boost his stock is I would like to see him attack the rim a little bit more Show some shot creation, especially like his ability to make shots off the dribble. Now, I'm not saying that I want him to like showcase this to help boost his draft stock. I mean, it's more important for Duke to win. But I'd love to see a couple of those plays out of him because he's shown, at least to me, he's shown flashes of being a shot maker. But over like 53% of his field goal attempts this season are three-pointers. Now... The reason why it's not like too much of a red flag is because, I mean, dude is shooting 45%. It's almost like 46% from three. So it's kind of tough to argue with his shot selection. And I know for me, when I watch Duke, I feel like, and, and maybe I'm wrong here, but whenever I watch Duke play, it's like he doesn't miss. I think he shoots 70% from three when I'm watching the games. Now, the best fit for him, I believe, would be Sacramento simply because the Kings like lost their wing shooters in the deal that sent Sabonis to to Sacramento and sent Buddy Hill and Tyrese Halliburton to the Pacers. So I think the Sacramento Kings would be a good fit. I think he'd be a good complementary piece early in his career to De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis, but you never know. I mean, he has shown some flashes that he could be more than a complementary piece. All right, next, I want to talk about Mark Williams. I think Mark Williams could really move the needle with an impressive game or two in the Final Four. I mean, if he hasn't, you can literally make a case and say Williams, maybe, just maybe, a better prospect than Jalen Duran. And maybe even has passed him on some draft boards. I mean, Duran is younger, so it's almost like two years younger or 18 months or something like that. So, of course, you know, people may lean towards the, the younger prospect, but... 
every game I've seen Williams play, he has had a major impact. And he's been like the model of consistency. Like, I mean, think about all the NBA prospects in this Final Four. Like, some had a great game followed up by like an awful game or just an off night. For example, you know, I think of like Benedict Matherin. He had a strong game, then he followed up with a game where he struggled. Jaden Ivey had a game where he really struggled. Jabari Smith had a game where he really struggled. He was like 3 for 16 or something, like 3 for 13 or something like that. A lot of guys have had strong performances backed up with a game where, I mean, they just, like I said, struggled. Now, even though the roles are different and he basically just kind of has the, I mean, he's he's not featured in the offense, but Mark Williams has been consistent. Listen to these numbers. 15 points, 7 rebounds, 5 blocks in the first round. Second round, 15 points, 8 rebounds, 5 blocks versus Michigan State. 16 points, 8 rebounds, 3 blocks versus Texas Tech. 12 points, 8 rebounds, 3 blocks against Arkansas. And he's only missed 6 shots in the tournament. That is it. He's only missed 6 shots in the tournament. So I think that he has definitely helped himself and he, and maybe even can continue climbing up draft boards or impressing scouts with a strong game or two in this tournament. And I think the best fit for him would be Charlotte, who should be selecting at the, the back end of the lottery, or maybe even Oklahoma City, who right now they are projected at around 15 with the Clippers pick. I think both teams could use an interior presence and shot blocker. And I mean, Mark Williams has definitely, at least in my opinion, I think that if depending on what position you consider Chet, but he has a strong case to be the first center taken in this particular draft class. All right, next, I want to talk about Wendell Moore. And Moore has been good all year long for Duke. And I think that he could help his draft stock this weekend, despite the fact that he has three years of film for scouts to evaluate. And like I said, I mean, this year he's been... I mean, he's been really, really good. It's almost He's almost been overshadowed by his teammates. He's shooting 50% from the floor, 40% from three. And he fills the stat sheet every night. You can pencil him in. You don't even put it in pencil. You can put it in marker. He's going to get you five rebounds and four assists. And get this. He is young for his class. He is only 20 years old. A 20-year-old junior. So he was, I mean, again, that is young. For example, he was born in September 2001. On draft date, he will be the same age as Chet Holmgren. They'll both be 20 years old on draft date. One's a freshman who many have or, or, or think has like this crazy upside, and one is a junior who somebody may feel like, oh, because he is a junior, he may not have the same upside, which is weird to me because they are less than a year apart as far as age. And sometimes just having too much film can hurt your stock. And as far as a way to like possibly help his stock, I'd say that I'd like to see him have a game where he's putting up threes on volume. Because although he shot 41% from three this year, he's been a little bit reluctant to shoot from deep in the tournament. He's only attempted seven threes. Now he is four out of seven, but maybe a game with him being his usual Swiss Army knife and let's say he's making a decent amount of threes on a good volume of attempts, could guarantee him a first-round slot. But I'd say the best fit, 
I'm going to go with like a team like Brooklyn. I think he can come in and contribute. He can knock down open shots. If, uh, you know, I mean, based off his percentages, you'd think he'd be able to knock down open shots and play a complimentary role with Durant or Kyrie or Ben Simmons if the guy ever decides to play. I mean, I'm probably wrong for saying this, but I'm not buying the back injury. <laughs> but anyway, that's a totally different subject. And then I think Moore can play a little bit of point guard. He's, I mean, I mean, we've seen what they've done with Bruce Brown, even though they're kind of different players, but kind of were the same in college, even though I think Wendell Moore is a, a much better shooter. All right, before I get into the next segment, let's talk about bet online. And after months and months of playing college basketball, is down to the last four teams, and the winner will be determined this week end in the national championship game. And BetOnline is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info from all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your latest sports development, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season, but it is not just basketball. BetOnline has your continued source. It has to be your continued source for all of your sporting wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. So head to the website today, or you can use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline is where the game starts. All right, I've covered, at least in my opinion, the top four prospects, or three prospects, four prospects, or at least, you know what, let's just say I covered the top four Duke prospects. A couple of other prospects that I think could possibly help themselves are Christian Brown from Kansas. Brown is an interesting prospect because he has completely transformed his game. It's like his first two years at Kansas, he only shot threes. Like, I felt like that is all he did was shoot threes. And then all of a sudden, this summer or last summer, he transformed himself into like this kind of like Wendell Moore in a sense, like this Swiss Army knife. He rebounds, he passes. I mean, he finishes in transition. I mean, he's had like some highlight reel dunks. And he is someone that has put himself in position to be selected in the first round. If you would have asked me about Christian Brown earlier in, uh, you know, in the season, I was like, yeah, I don't think he's a, you know, someone that is a first round pick. But I mean, he's been good, good straight line driver. He's attacked. He's attacking closeouts. Again, he's a ball mover with with good instincts, rebounds. Like I said, just does a little bit of everything. Good athlete, high IQ player. I mean, these are like attributes and characteristics that you look for if you're like a, a team selecting at the back end of the first round and you want a rookie that can possibly come in and contribute. Now, here's the thing about him. He's a good shooter, but based off percentages, he's not like a great sniper. Like he's not like a 40% shooter. He's not like a... Corey Kispert or someone that is, you know, going to shoot or has history of shooting 40% from three. Again, a good shooter, but overall, even though this year he shot like 39% from three and he shot 44% as a freshman, I think he's a very, very, very good shooter. But I mean, he got the percentages up to, you know, close to 40. But overall, I think that 
he's a very good, capable shooter against. So he's not Corey Kispert, but forgive me if you think I just compared him to Kispert because he is white. I had somebody ask me. I mean, they gave me a list of players where they compared him to. It was like Grayson Allen, Dante the Defensio, or and then um, it was another player. And I was like, I, I don't want to compare him to just another white player. So my comparison for Christian Brown would be Tim Hardaway Jr. So you probably weren't expecting that. All right, another prospect that I think this Final Four could hurt him, not help him, but hurt him, is Ochai Akbaji. And Akbaji is a four-year senior. He's had a good year, started off blazing hot. I mean, at one point, he was like 55, 45 from, you know, splits from, from the field and from three. Then he just got off to a to a just rough start for, I want to say, like at the end of February and March. And the, the numbers have kind of declined some. And then he had a couple games in the tournament that weren't necessarily impressive. So I think, like, for him, he has the most to lose because if he plays like you expect him to, or plays like he's played all season, then you say, okay, well, you know, he's a senior. And, I mean, you kind of expect him to play that way. But let's say he has a game where he's not assertive, where he's not aggressive, where it looks like Remy Martin is the the guy on the team, the guy that puts the team on his back. Then I think that could hurt Agbaji. Or if he has, like, a bad shooting night, I think it could hurt him, even though he probably has, and I, I don't know it off the top of my head, but because he's added some games. But I know at one point he had over 113 games of college basketball experience. And despite that, I still don't think that his position on draft boards is solidified because I just I, I think like he has the most to actually lose if he if he doesn't play well. Then there's a few other guys like Caleb Love could possibly improve his draft stock if he plays well, but the thing about Caleb Love is that you have no idea what you're going to get. As a freshman, he was, I mean, you know, I can be honest here. I mean, it's, it's NBA draft junkies. It is locked on NBA draft, so I can be honest with my audience. Caleb Love had a rough freshman year. He was a major disappointment. Many people thought that he was going to be like a lottery pick coming into the season. And he came back as a sophomore. He did what he's supposed to do. He improved, definitely improved as a shooter. But he's still a little inconsistent. So let's say he has a, a game like he had against UCLA. In a UCLA game, he scored 30 points. He made 6 of 13 threes. He looked like the guy that everyone expected him to be when he was you know, a, a, a superstar or projected superstar first-round pick coming into school. But the consistency or inconsistency is still plaguing him. For example, versus St. Peter's, he was six of seventeen from the floor. And then let's let's I mean, I don't want to talk about it, but against Baylor, five points, six turnovers, one for six shooting. So you never know what you're gonna get from Caleb Love. If, just if he has like a UCLA type performance, and that's the last impression, it may help him. But if he has Anything like we saw in the the other two games or, you know, other games in this tournament outside of the first round, <laughs> then it might be best for him to go back to school. Now, he's had some, I mean, I, I, you know what, to be honest with you, this is like, 
I mean, typical Caleb Love. Like, for example, against Duke in March, he had 22 points, but he was 4 for 17. And then another game against Duke, he only had 8 points, and he had 4 turnovers. So you don't know what you're going to get from Caleb Love. He can possibly help his draft stock the most. I don't know if he can really hurt it because I, I, I don't know if he's even, like, top 40 on, on most boards. Then you got Jeremy Roach. I think he could put himself in position. I mean, he's been clutch. He's kind of settled Duke's offense down. Trevor Kills, I've never really been a big Trevor Kills guy anyway. I remember at one point somebody had him as a lottery pick. I just haven't been big on, on, on Trevor Kills at all. And he hasn't really been the best in this tournament either. So I think that he could possibly help his draft stock if he has a, a big game. I guess my my question about Kills is what exactly is his NBA role, right? I mean, he's 6'4", 220. He's, I mean, not the best shooter. Only shot 31% from three, 41% from the floor. He's, you know, a capable ball handler. He's a good defender, don't get me wrong, but he's also pretty inconsistent. For example, in the first round, even though it was, you know, a 16 or 17-point win, only had six points and four turnovers versus Cal State Fullerton. Texas Tech played 14 minutes, didn't score. Arkansas, he had nine points, but he, he was okay against Michigan State. So even though his stock is probably declining, I think that he has a chance to at least try to, at least maybe if he has like two really strong performances or maybe even just one strong performance, he can actually, you know, leave a last impression that could help him at least get some of the stock that he lost back. Well, that wraps it up for this episode. I mean, there's a few other guys that I could talk about, but I don't think that there's anyone else that I, that I see could possibly end up getting drafted in the top 60 but that wraps up this episode this is rafael barlow from nba draft junkies and locked on nba draft well you know you're listening to locked on nba draft but nba big board but before i go let's talk about the locked on nba podcast this is a must listen for anybody that loves the nba the locked on experts are covering the biggest stories around the nba they do this every monday through Friday and they get it done in less than 30 minutes. It is free and it is available wherever you get your podcast. All right, this is Raphael signing out. The next time you hear from me, it will be Championship Monday. If I had to gamble, well, no, I'm not a gambler, but if I had to bet and say who I think is going to be in the championship game, I'm going to go with Duke versus Villanova. Well, I'll talk to you Monday. And we'll see if I'm right or wrong. All right. Hopefully you have a good weekend. Enjoy the final four. And this is the part of the show where I say I am out.